You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. My name is Kara Zorel. 24 years ago, my planet was in peril. My cousin, Kalel, was sent to a planet called Earth. You may know his story, but you don't know mine. On Earth, you will do extraordinary things until now. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where uh wow, we are, are just going to we're going to geek out with some serious geek joy tonight. Um as we do in our supplemental episodes every once in a while and this will be the first supplemental episode that we are not geeking out about Star Wars and that is because yesterday and today some amazing things happened for us geeks. Uh first and foremost, yesterday CBS finally unveiled Supergirl. It gave us a look at a 6-minute trailer of what that show is going to be like, our very first female-led superhero show. I I'm over the moon at that. And I'm over the moon. Uh, I'll just put play my hand here because it looks good. So, I mean, and we've all been waiting for this. And then second today, the CW came out with their upfronts and we got a look at Legends of Tomorrow and we are here to talk about both of those. Um and I've got some great guys. I mean Ruby, she opened up the bar late tonight so we could come hang out and just geek out. Um Ruby keeps telling me the things that she thinks are going to show up in these shows. She's a genius at this and I think that's why she lets us come in and and do this, but we got Will Wynn with us. Will, welcome to the 602. It's good. It's been a while, but it's always a pleasure uh, talking everything geek that's not Trek. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Uh, it's been too long. And we've got back with us Norm. You know what the awesome thing is about this this show, aside from what we're going to talk about, is you have the Warp 5 crew in the 602 Club. That's true. We that's... do. We've got the Warp 5 crew. <laughs> and um, best thing about tonight is that we are all wearing... <laughs> Superman t-shirts, and yeah, none of them are uh, the uh, same. The family of L t-shirts. That's right, the family of L t-shirts, that's correct. Uh, it means hope. Um, but I love it because Norm is wearing the new 52 look shield. We've got Will with the classic shield, and I am wearing the Man of Steel shield. Uh, it is. It, it all means the same thing. Uh, it all means that we are here to literally just geek out about Supergirl for a while. Um, you guys, what were your first thoughts kind of watching this magnificent six minutes? You know, I asked, uh, I asked Ruby to pour me a shot of a kryptonite derivative because after watching that first six minutes, I think that my head is going to explode and <laughs> combined with Legends of Tomorrow, which we're going to get to. All I got to say is, oh my God, I am so unbelievably excited to watch this show. Just primarily because it felt right. That's a big thing. I mean, it's first impressions are really important, and it just felt right. It felt like it belongs in the Superman universe, whether it's the Christopher Reeve universe or the Brandon Routh universe, the comic universe or the Man of Steel universe. Someone was paying attention when they created this property, and they understand how to talk to the fan. 
And we can get into that a little bit later with all of the finer points. But for my first impression, you have the right person. You have the right actress playing this part. She is the perfect mixture of attractiveness, earnestness, and mild-manneredness. That is that character, whether it's Clark Kent or whether it's Kara, that's who you're rooting for. You're rooting for this person to grow and evolve, but you already know how special they are, but you want to see their humanity involved because their powers are already there. So that's something as Superman fans, we already know that's already built into our DNA as as fans of this property. So my hat's off to this creative team, Greg Berlanti and all of his staff, the writers, and all the people who are just taking care of this property because they are, they have taken it to a whole new level. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull back from this one because I can just keep going and going and going. We'll be here for three hours, but I think it's great. They did a great first impression, and I hope the fans love it because I think it's going to be a fantastic show just from the get-go. I think when I was watching this trailer, I was struck by like, oh, this is very much like Ally McBeal. And then Calissa Flockhart walks in as Cat <laughs> Grant. And I was like, of course, like, I, how did I not see that coming? And I think obviously what, what, what Norm said in terms of the fidelity to the, the comic continuity, the fidelity to kind of the details of the, fa- um, the, the larger Supergirl mythos is there. And I like the fact that it's there. But also I was just watching with my wife earlier and, you know, she's not a big Supergirl fan. But there's a lot in that six minutes to appeal to someone that is just watching this right off right off the bat. I don't know anything about Supergirl per se, but what is this about? And, it, and it's the perfect blend of, you know, it's very much, you know, a uh, Devil Wears Prada or, a, you know, girl in the big city trying to figure out her life, her job, her career. And at the same time, she's also a superpowered Kryptonian, right? And it's, it's that perfect blend of just the right amount of humor, just the right amount of uh, irreverence, but also at the same time treating the material in a way that, you know, you believe that that's a world that could exist. So I feel like it's that perfect blend. And I think oftentimes DC Comics gets uh, a bad rap in terms of being overly serious or overly grim dark, especially in its movie properties. But everything has its own place. And I feel like with this, it has a lightness of touch but it's still different than other shows out there. It's different than what Marvel's been doing. I think that's great. I really like the fact that it could very much be a coming of age story. I could, I would love to watch just a story about, you know, Kara with her everyday struggles, but at the same time, there's that obviously that other Supergirl component to it. That's huge to it. But the fact that her normal everyday life is just as compelling and just as interesting speaks a lot to me. You know, my first thoughts were, I can't wipe this stupid geek boy grin off my face you know I, my my wife enjoys watching the flash with me i think half of the time and, and arrow too because i just i'll just be like oh my god they're gonna do that you know that's exactly how i felt watching this trailer that's my first thoughts that's my first reaction is that it gives me a big stupid grin on my face that I can't wipe off because I'm just it's geek joy and you know when you're creating these shows I think that's what you're going for and you know it it's tv it's never going to look like a feature film the effects and all that they're going to be what they can do on television I don't care you know that's not the point this this has the look and the feel of everything that they've been doing on Arrow and Flash. And they're taking all that and they're 
putting it together and and creating this new show and giving us, I think, something that we can really, really look forward to. And that's what I love is that each one of these shows has had its own distinct feel and they're able to find a way to make that work because these are, this is an interconnected universe now with Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow. And each of these shows, they can all interwork together, but at the same time, they also stand on their own. They have their own um, distinct flavor. And I love that we're finally going to get the female-led show and and have that on television and I love seeing tweets where people can be like oh my gosh I showed this to my little girl and she's so pumped you know like that's that's what we're going for here you know we we want our geez if I have a little girl someday I want her to be able to watch this show and, and enjoy it so I think that's for me where this that true amazing geek joy is coming from and I'm 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 over the moon just with, I trust these guys, I've seen their work, I've watched everything that they've done with Flash and Arrow, and seeing this proves to me that these guys understand Superman mythos as well as Supergirl, um, because I can see bits and pieces, especially from New 52 they've kind of added in, I've seen, see, know some of her history they've kind of put in, you know, obviously the Superman mythos that they've kind of sprinkled in, all of that, these guys know how to just kind of mold together their own version of the character, and I think that's what makes it so exciting, so, um, for you guys, so the look and the feel of this trailer, what do you guys get from this six minutes and then there was another uh, two minute trailer that dropped today that had uh, a lot more of some of the fight scenes it looks like from the pilot which yeah I'm wondering what you guys kind of feel about that just that look and, and the feel of this show you know aside from the visuals which which I'll I'll respond to in a moment when I was watching the trailer everything seemed to be pretty much lockstep in in how I would perceive this uh, this property being translated to TV. You know, everything has... There's a certain budgetary feel when something from, like, a property like Man of Steel gets translated down to the small screen. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a... It's a, it's a realistic thing. It's, it's just the way that TV is produced. Aside from that, the one thing I really took away from this trailer, and I was trying to... I was mulling around about it in my head, like, how are they going to get across Supergirl girl being the operative word in today's society and i was beyond pleased i was actually incredibly surprised when they mentioned that they focused on that part in the trailer where calista flockhart's cat grant said girl doesn't mean weak and her response to that whole why does you why do you think the connotation of girl is a bad thing i'm a girl you know it doesn't uh it's not demeaning in her opinion. She's strong. She's beautiful. She's capable. She's powerful. She is competing with men on every level. And she still calls herself a girl. And I think that's really important that the writers address that head on. Because Kara's character says, oh, why would you want to call her a girl? Isn't she shouldn't be called superwoman in today's society. And I thought that was a really excellent point. And I thought that the very crux of the matter is Cat Grant's last response to that, she said, if you perceive Supergirl as anything less than excellent, 
that's not the problem. You, you are the one that's perceiving that as being the problem. And I think that's where you need to focus on in the show because when you take this invulnerable Kryptonian alien person and you know that they're indestructible up to a point, how do you, how do you put the drama in the show? And that drama in the show is her emotional vulnerability, her self-doubt and her interjection of how is she going to fit into this society and how she's going to help because as superheroes, that's what they want to do. And if she doesn't know how to figure that out, she'll never be able to manifest herself into the hero that she wants to be. And I thought I thought that they just that through line was brilliant in the preview. Yeah, the the trailer itself had a lot of meta moments where it was clearly self-aware of the environment of which the show finds itself. You know, this is a show that is in an environment where there are clearly other superhero shows out there. We are in in a new media environment, which there's so many other avenues to get a superhero story. So I like the fact that the show was able to recognize that and address those points head on and modernize that mythos, right? Modernize the idea of Supergirl and redefine its its meaning as a name, as a character. Another great moment for me was the costume, right? You know, that one moment where she's wearing a very clearly a very revealing outfit. She's like, I'm not going to go around saving people in this outfit, Right. And it was such a great moment for me because it was recognizing that she needs an actual uniform. She needs an actual costume to wear. And it was very humorous to see that because it did it in a very quick, uh, humorous way, a funny way. But it was very much saying that I have my own sense of agency. I have a sense of self-esteem that I'm not just something to look at. I'm not just something that is attractive for attractiveness sake, that I have something beyond that, right? So... I like the fact that they dealt with those two issues very effectively in that six minutes. And I think some of the what I've heard from the fandom about this trailer was at the same time, people love this this trailer. People said, like, this is what we've been waiting for, for a Supergirl trailer. But at the same time, it's been used. I've, I've seen some criticism that, it, you know, they use it to criticize where DC is right now in terms of where its movie properties are. Like, oh, this is what Man of Steel should have been. They didn't understand the mythos of Superman. You know, this is where they should have taken that character. Why didn't they go in this direction? And I think fans that make that line of criticism are is missing the point of the larger mythology of Superman or Supergirl or this story. The story is malleable enough that it can exist in multiple forms or in different forms. And this version, this interpretation of Supergirl is no less relevant than what they did in Smallville or what they did in Superman Returns or Man of Steel or all the Reeves movies. It's it's a flexible enough property that you can have these interpretations that you can still get the core meaning of what it means to be a Kryptonian in a modern era and you can have these different types of um, approaches and I think what's really interesting for me was the fact that Superman plays a role but he's not in the picture right there's always referencing to this is what your cousin did this is what he did he's not currently in that environment right now so for me it raised the question of where's Clark what happened to him and hopefully down the road we're going to find out you know what he left behind for Kara the legacy because she's working in his shadow in a way in an environment in a world where there are clearly no other human being or uh, super beings per se but you know his presence before kind of laid the groundwork for her to be who she is and who she's going to be as a superhero so i think it's really interesting that you know he plays a role but it's only as an introduction to her 
uh, evolution into Supergirl. Well, it's interesting to me too that this trailer, uh, you know, the look and the feel of it, it has that uh, lighter fare to it. it. It's a lot more like the Flash than, say, Arrow. But at the same time, the storyline is is somewhat similar to the Man of Steel storyline in that Kara has been hiding herself. She hasn't been using her powers, and um, you know she's keeping herself hidden. She's been trying to be normal. You know, her sister says to her, "You know, you want to be normal. This is what it's like." You know, um, and of course she's struggling with, "I'm not normal." You know, I'm I can lift a bus. She said, "I can fly." I think, um, you know, so, and then of course her big moment of, of kind of coming out to the world is, is saving that plane, which a lot of planes go down in Superman movies. Um, so apparently you just don't want to be in the DC universe with planes. So, you know, I was thinking of that myself and it's, it's probably the, 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 the fastest, most economical storytelling method to show how powerful these, these beings are Superman and Supergirl. They can fly. They can lift tonnage like it's not an issue, and they can adapt to the situation when things go awry. Um, so I cannot. Yeah, we we saw that in in the Superman nineteen seventy eight. We saw that in Returns in that brilliant scene where where they introduced Ralph and now now. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the way that writers just need to tell that story in a, in a very fast, economically illustrative way. And yes, plane crashes in DC are common fare when it comes to dealing with these superheroes, I guess. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's really nice too, that, you know, as they're telling this, this story as well, you know, again, like Man of Steel, Kara has not really been using her powers. So she doesn't know their limit yet. She doesn't really understand all that she can do. She's new on the job. I think that's a really interesting thing that we're going to be seeing this, progression so i honestly there's a lot more similarities than there are differences in this um in 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 what they're kind of doing with the character and obviously it would be terrible to have a tv show where the character just steps out you know and is like i'm supergirl you know and immediately has every power knows how to everything's done and and she can clean up the mess quickly you know we we want to be able to see a character grow that's the whole point of watching a show and especially in today's very serialized sense you know um we're going to be watching this show again and again and again most likely with blu-rays and netflix and all sorts of stuff so you're going to want to see that progression that's what makes it interesting and what i love here is that like flash and arrow we're setting up for the long game of telling the story of Kara Zarel and how she becomes the the icon that we know. And what's interesting here too is that very much like uh, the New Fifty Two comics, um, she's also in the shadow of her cousin. Um, she isn't as um, desirous of necessarily being in his shadow or or just doing what he does. And I think that's great. I mean, again, the agency of this female character where her cousin doesn't tell her that he wants her to be like him. He wants her to make up her own mind, you know, um, and very much in the way a good parent does with their child. You know, let them make up their own mind about what they want to be and who they want to be. Raise them up as well as you can, and hopefully, you know, they will become something great. 
and I want to encourage them where you can, but let them make that decision of who it is they want to be when they get the opportunity to make that choice. And I, I love that here that this female character is getting the opportunity to make all those decisions for herself. And we're going to want to watch that progression. And I think that's really awesome. And, and what a great message for, you know, little girls out there, you know, you can be what you'd like to be, you know, um, and don't let anybody take away the fact that you're a girl. You know, I, I love that. We, you have the saying, oh, she hits like a girl or he hits like a girl, you know, or no, we're going to take that word back. And that's what I loved about that, that statement there. We are going to earn that back by, by embracing what it means to be feminine, what it means to be a girl, the same way that, you know, we as men, we're, we're boys, we, we own that too, you know? So take back that, that term and, and, and make it mean what it should mean, which shouldn't be a derogatory term. There's nothing wrong with being a girl. There's nothing wrong with being a boy, you know. Um, so I, I love that. I love that that's the, I feel like the feel of this show. Um, and the look, what do you, uh, you know, we we kind of see the, the whole costume scene, <laughs> which I love. I love that she kind of comes out in that spandex thing, which is very much like uh, her early 90s look where she has the bare midriff, you know, for years and the skirt and everything. It was very uh, Michael Turner-esque, you know. Uh, yeah, um, it, it just reminded me of something you might see in a Michael Bay film, uh, you know. And like, no, I'm not wearing this, you know. So what did you guys think about that now that we've kind of seen the costume and everything in action? Well, kind of going point for point here with the preview, I really loved how they handled her exodus from from her parents, you know, the, the destruction mm-hmm. of the, well, the, the retelling of the origin scene, because I think that it's really smart that you're going to have to couch it in such a way where the fans understand that this is a distant cousin, literally of the Superman origin. And the ship, you know, is very akin to not so much the ship in man of steel, but more along the lines of what the comics portrayed, you know, that long cylindrical ship. If you put, looked really closely at her, traveling garb uh it's that white outfit but it has an embossed house of l crest on it and she's wearing the necklace a little bit like you know clark ends up wearing in man of steel with his key on it so i'm wondering what's going to be at the end of that necklace so you have like those nice touch tones there um when you really kind of dissect the memory flashback and slow it down and freeze frame it they're doing what they did in the flash where they're kind of repurposing original actors from the Superman mm-hmm. mythology and the Supergirl mythology in the show. Seeing Helen Slater in there just melts my heart because it's the same way I felt when I saw John Wesley Ship as Barry Allen's dad in The Flash because I was a huge fan of both of these properties when I was growing up, being a kid of the 80s. Helen Slater was my Supergirl and John Wesley Ship was my Flash. And, and seeing them now back in these properties as part of their new mythology is just un. It's unbelievably heartwarming to me, and I'm sure it will be to all the fans, you know, who are my age or who grew up with these things. So it was nice seeing her in there and Dean Cain. Now, yeah. even Dean Cain, you know, he was in Lois and Clark, where they really kind of intro- introduced the Cat Grant character, albeit differently. She was played by Tracy Scoggins in that show. It's just neat to see him back and in involved mm-hmm. because he is, for all intents and purposes, part of the Superman legacy 
Well, and in so, those yeah. flashback scenes, you have the fact that if you slowing it down, it's Superman who takes Kara to to them. Like he he takes them to the Danvers. Uh, take he takes her to the Danvers and has them care for her. So I think that's a really cool thing that you know. She, she lands on this planet. She knows who her cousin is, and um, you know has a a familiarity with him. Like he is the one who leads her there, and um, I, that's really cool. So somehow Superman is in the pilot episode, which is awesome. So I'm just kind of wondering who they have play Superman. I think it would be neat if they just kept him in shadow, like they did. In the they could do that too. Yeah, where you, you know, never because his see reputation his face. really yeah. does truly precede him. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think at any point in that trailer they actually mentioned the word Superman, or do they? No, they always say like my cousin. Yeah. So, which I think is really smart because you re- you really don't need to, right? And I think that's just the, you know the economy of less is more. And going back to your question, man, in terms of just the visual aesthetics, I think it's great. I think the uniform has a simplicity to it that it's that's very appealing it has a, like a rich color palette there's there's color it pops but at the same time um it has a modern aesthetic to it it's it's lacking the yellow and then the shield but that's fine i think it has like a very sleek aesthetic to it and i love the fact that the the supporting cast that we see here plays such a big role i i, I don't know his uh, his actual name i think his name was uh the 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 one that was asking uh, her on a date initially, but oh, he's yeah. the one that's, you know designing her uniform later on, going through his iterations. Yeah. That's that's fun to me because you know it wasn't Capes necessary. are ridiculous. You can tell your cousin I said so. Wait, don't <laughs> exactly no, right. yeah don't tell him I said that. I think he's Cisco's cousin. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's really what I pictured him at. Yeah, that she has her own Cisco is is basically awesome. <laughs> Basically, yeah, and I think that I think it's really neat that she she has like her her sister that is such like a good sounding board for her. I love the fact that Jimmy or James Olsen is an older character. He's almost a mentor to her. Although I think in your notes, potentially a love interest down the few, down the road, which is really interesting. Which is really interesting to me. The fact that he's not white. The fact that they cast Mercad Brooks in that role, in a role I think is a very deft reinvention of the character both in terms of ethnicity in terms of where he is in terms of his age he knows uh superman that you know he he is her cousin of the role that he played in her development giving her that box of the uh that contained the blanket that he was in so it's very much a different role for jimmy olsen which i think is potentially very compelling down the road although still at the same time keeping those familiar touchstones of still working for a newspaper, being an art director, being a photographer, but a much more proactive, much more reimagined character, and that's going to be much more integral to her development than arguably he was with Clark or, or Lois in previous iterations. You know, I think that this is the sh- one of the reasons why I love this preview and I'm really excited about the show is because we've always talked about, and Matthew, you and I talked about this offline in our Facebook chats, yeah. <laughs> We've always talked about where the opportunities can be taken to reshape parts of the mythos because you can't take huge liberties with the main characters. I mean, that's just as of right now, that's kind of a, a taboo thing to do because you're afraid of damaging the franchise in a way. But in Man of Steel, they did not have Jimmy Olsen. They had it's a Jenny Olsen. 
And I think that was okay. I mean, people were, they just kind of rolled with it. And now you have James Olsen, who's not your typical red-haired, freckled, bow-tie-wearing cub reporter. That, no, that awesome. is awesome. I want to be that yeah. dude. Right, and that's, that's like, that was a, that's a day and an era gone by. This is, we have to talk, we have to start telling the modern flavored mythology where a new viewer in the marketing age of 12 to 25, probably female, is going to endorse and champion this property. You have to start thinking this way. You know, in order for the genre to grow and survive, you have to start thinking about the new marketing opportunities and where the real audience is. And when you go to Comic Cons and when you go to all the different cosplay conventions and all these these sources for all these great, empowered, strong female characters to express themselves and fans to express themselves, you have to pay attention to what's going on out there because it is no longer the way it used to be. You know, it's no longer the male-dominated fandom. And I think that's great that this is steering it in the right direction. That's one of the cool things that reminds me of Man of Steel in the sense that we, we also not only did Jenny Olsen, but we made Perry White you know, be played by an African-American and, you know, fantastic. I mean, just nailed that role. I thought, you know, Lawrence Fishburne was fantastic and I, I can't wait to see more of him, hopefully in Batman V Superman. Um, but I think you really nailed something, Norm, is the idea that we do need these, these mythologies of comics to move forward. And that's the whole point of doing these shows and, and doing something like Man of Steel. We are pushing what it means to to be Superman because Superman has always done that all the comics have done that they've always reflected the time that they're in and especially if they're doing it really well you know um, there are those decades that we had in comics with certain heroes where it's just like it's just not working you know they're not getting it um, and it doesn't work but you know from the first time that Superman comes on screen to now, he's a different character, you know? Um, he's not beating up, you, you know, mob bosses in New York City and leaping over buildings in a single bound kind of thing anymore, you know? That's that's not his mission. He's worldwide now. Um, so it's one of the reasons the S-Shield is the second most recognizable symbol next to the cross around the world, you know? So it means something, and um, I think that's really cool. And kind of redefining it for the age, I think, is a really important thing. Um, What did you guys feel about kind of getting to see some of these characters now? Um, Melissa Benoist is is Kara Danvers or Kara Zarell. Um, you know, getting to see uh, Calista Flockhart in action, um, getting to see Kyler Lee playing um, Alex Danvers, her sister, um, those kind of things. What did you guys end up thinking about this this cast and the way they're kind of playing things? I think it's a strong it's a strong supporting bench because I think to have to sustain a series over multiple seasons, multiple episodes, you're going to have to have other characters that are are driving the story that are not necessarily involved in the superhero or the super powered fights. You're going to have something that needs, you're going to need to have people that ground Kara. So the fact that her sister, you know, they have such a close bond, but also at the same time, she works for this, uh, the agency of, uh, I forget, it's like LEO or stands for 
it's like it's almost like a shield it's type organization, DOE. right? She works for this agency. That's her connection, right? But at the same time, she has a boss in Clarissa Flockhart who she has twinges of of sympathy, like twinges of of a character that you could sympathize with. But she has a very tough exterior. She has a very harsh demeanor. But at some point, you could see where that character could develop down the road. And I think Hank Henshaw is the leader of this organization, if I'm not mistaken. Doesn't he become the cyborg or the cyborg Superman? Yeah, he's going to become cyborg Superman. So I think that's going to be her first villain. And I think that's just really cool that after reading that name, like, you know, I'm not um, as knowledgeable about the Superman mythos as I think you two are, but I remember that name explicitly from Death of Superman. I'm like, oh man, is that the same Hank Henshaw, right? So I love the fact that at the same time that they're putting down these markers for, for the, for the longer game, the longer storytelling, that there's still relatable elements of, of care through her boss, through her sister, through that male coworker that makes it accessible to someone that isn't so knowledgeable about the mythos that they want to see how, you know, she works, she, you know, she gets through the daily grind of her life, getting coffee and just kind of doing the mundane banality that, all of us go through. And I think that's what makes her so compelling is that she's relatable in a very Peter Parker, Spider-Man way, working in a newspaper, very much like a greenhorn, has a terrible boss, right? Things that we all sympathize with. And I think there's a lot to go with in terms of, of narrative potential. I think finding the right combination of that inner meekness and that kind of wink, wink, nod, nod when you know that who this person is and what they're capable of. When you find an, an, an actress or an actor, an actress that can strike that balance, that is pure gold for this franchise. Uh, Christopher Reeve has it. Brandon Routh has it. Henry Cavill has it. And now Melissa Benoist has it. It's just, it's an intangible quality because not everyone can pull off both roles. You can either have the civilian role or you can have the superhero role. But when you know that it's in them at the same time, simultaneously as they're walking across the screen, whether she's at the office or whether she's at home or whether she's fighting crime, you know that that person is a fully 360 degree realized character on the page and they treated her as such or him as such. And I think that's a really smart thing to do. You have to nail the acting or the actor choice right off the get go and even in Arrow and Flash, I wasn't completely 100% sold on Stephen Amell originally as Oliver Queen. I am now. And, and not so much on Grant Gustin as Flash. I am now. When I saw Melissa the very first time, not so much in the costume, but the very first time in this preview, I was like, this is it. That's perfect. The way I felt that Brandon Routh was perfect. The word is adorable, Norm. She's just so. Is, is that <laughs> is that the word? It's it's from the, it's from the show New Girl, right? So like she has just that that quirkiness, right? Which has that mo- modern sensibility of that. You know, she. It's an updating of kind of like the nerd sensibility, right? Where Peter Parker had kind of like that, and Clark Kent too, kind of had this dorkishness to him, the the nerdiness, the 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 lack of self confidence, right, in their alter ego. But it's updated with, with the sensibility where we all know someone like that or we are that person where we're kind of awkward around social situations. We're kind of, um, I wouldn't say meek, but kind of soft spoken or kind of has, you know, she has a lot to say, but necessarily, but not necessarily verbally. A lot of it's going on in her mind and she's kind of internalizing a lot of it. That, uh, you know, adorable dorkish sensibility is played so well. And I think it, 
attracts a, a core to a modern audience, which I think the audience can relate to so much of that because maybe they're like that in real life. They know someone like that. They were that in the past. It works in a lot of ways because it's the fans themselves could see themselves in that role, right? And I think that's what makes the character work. Like I wanted to see more of her just being Kara, like I said, I'm having this point before, just seeing her in her everyday life as much as her in costume and, you know, using her powers. That's how good she was being that everyday person. I can't wait for you to be introduced to Felicity Smoke then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's that. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was thinking is that she has some of that Felicity Caitlin-ness to her where she has, you know, foot and mouth disease. You know, she frequently sticks her foot in her mouth and or can't actually verbalize what she wants to say in the first place. You know, and it is it's. It is very adorable, and um, it is nice to, to see that, you know, um, because it, it's one of those things that makes the character relatable when it would be hard to relate to them if they were perfect and had superpowers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things I think that made uh, Clark as a character in Superman, like, there was this side of him that he showed everybody else where he wasn't completely himself, and, and I love that in this trailer, with Melissa and how she's able to kind of get across this idea of I don't I want to be something I don't know how to be it or or exactly what it is I want to be but I want to be able to help people you know and I I, I think that's a a really great message because so many of us feel that way too we want to help people we want to do something with our lives we just don't know how to do it. And, you know, what was great is that she's been trying to do that by working with Cat Grant. She thought that would be the way to be able to help others. And she's finally come to the realization after saving this plane, which I love how she climbs out of the water, reminded me of Clark saving the bus full of kids and Man of Steel, you know, where you have that moment. Oh, like, okay, this point. is, yeah, 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 this is what I'm going to do. This I'm going to help people somehow. And I really like that there's that turning point. And for me, one of the coolest things here, I, I know Kyler Lee from Grey's Anatomy, and I love her as an actress. They have very much this, I, I, I see almost like Frozen type relationship, the sisters. And I think that's awesome. And we're going to be seeing more of that. Um, more than any of, I've seen criticisms that this feels like a rom-com or something like that. That's I think that's bogus. To me, this show feels like it's going to be about, more than anything, these two sisters. And what I loved was that you had this Elsa and Anna dynamic, except it was a little bit flipped around because, you know, it wasn't Elsa as the, she's younger and she's the one with the powers. And Anna's the one who's going to help her be able to overcome. and, And that's what I loved about the other trailer we saw was that, it's her sister who's talking her through it, kind of like Harrison Wells talking to the Flash to be able to move forward, to be able to get better, to have the strength to move forward. And that being the core of this show, well, that's what I picked up is being the core of this show beyond any kind of romance for her. No, it's about these two sisters and their relationship and how the importance of, of you know, Alex helping... Kara become who she can be and being a part of that 
Like, just because she doesn't have powers doesn't mean she's not important, you know? And all of that, to me, was speaking volumes. And I can't think of better messages for, you know, our daughters out there um, than that kind of storyline. Strong women helping women become even stronger. Just beautiful. I, 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 I think this cast is fantastic. The interaction with all of them was great. Um, the interaction with uh, Melissa and her friend um, as they're doing the whole costume thing was was really funny. They already have that that rapport that we have, say, in the... Well, we don't have an Arrow Cave. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, in the Arrow Cave and, uh, and or the Flash <laughs> Cave, the Lightning Cave, I guess we'll call it. Um, so, yeah, this... It's already working for me, and I've only seen six minutes of it, and that's fantastic. But maybe that, um, maybe that covert operations organization that she's going to work with, maybe mm. that's where her cave is going to be. Yeah, that'll you be know? her fortress of solitude. And I gotta say, I gotta give shout outs to uh, the actor uh, David Harewood. Um, mm-hmm. I really yeah. enjoyed him from Homeland. He played CIA deputy director David Estes. In Homeland. I knew I recognize him somewhere. I feel like he yeah. always plays those types of roles. And he's really good at it. He has a, a real, really tight curtness about his uh, speaking cadence and the way he acts. Um, Melissa is very similar physically uh, to um, Claire Danes, who he had great on-screen chemistry with in Homeland. I think is a great choice. And again, we're getting another actor of color uh, there, you know, as an African-American actor. But the actor that really, really got my attention, and not so much the actor, because I think he's talented, but the character that he's playing is Jimmy Olsen, James Olsen. Because in in a way, this is going to be the character that I think in the end of certain episodes is going to report in to Clark or to report into Superman and say, like, she'll, he'll have cryptic messages. He might be doing things like taking photographs, but not for the not for the Daily Planet per se, or not for for Cat's organization or her for her magazine, but to give Kal-El or Clark updates on how his cousin is doing. And I think that's going to be really smart if they balance it well to retain Superman's presence in this show without ever mentioning Superman. I think that's a really interesting point is the extent to which Superman is going to play a role. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that could be one possible avenue is that Superman will have more regular tabs on Kara through Jimmy. But that that really begs the question of where is Clark, right? What precipitated him to be gone, right? The, the, the presumption is that he's not there anymore, right? But no one seems to be so worried that he's gone. Like in Superman Return, everyone's like, where did he go? Is he ever going to come back, right? There was much more of a an angst around him returning, but obviously this is only six minutes. We don't know the full extent, but you know, I didn't get the sense from, from what I saw that they were worried that he was gone forever, that he was gone permanently. So I think it really opens up a a world of, of, of potential in terms of what if he was gone because he was off world with the green lantern Corps or fighting some intergalactic, you know, um, menace or threat that he had to be gone for an extended period of time that but he comes back in like the season two finale and it opens up the universe in a way that you know we can only have imagined in the in the first season i think it's such a really interesting and very effective uh story setting in terms of he's there but not really you kind of need him to ground it but outside of that i i think the 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 less we see of him the better 
when we do see him eventually, they're gonna it's gonna have a much more uh, of an impact. It's so funny because I didn't get the the feeling that Superman had gone anywhere. My feeling was is that he doesn't visit Kara because he doesn't want anybody to because she's been staying hidden. He didn't want anybody to ever think that there was anything special about her, you know. Um, and now that she's out in the world with her powers, it might be different one day. But I just kind of got that feeling that because she says at the very end of one of the trailers, there's not only one hero now on Earth, you know. And so it it, it gave me the the thought that yeah, Superman is there, but now there's her too, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it does kind of bring up the question, okay, if, if she does come out with her powers, okay, why wouldn't at that point Clark step in to help train her? But it could also be the fact that like Clark, and especially very Man of Steel-ish, he's allowing her to learn the lessons herself, you know, um, because there's no better way to learn the lesson. And uh, so I think that's... Um, I think that's that's how I took it. So, but I, I don't. In the end, we're totally speculating because we have no right. clue right now, except for the little bits and pieces that we've picked up here um, from this. You know, I guess we've probably seen about seven and a half minutes with that second trailer having some extra fight scenes. Which, whoo, do those look awesome? I love the fact that her heat vision is white, like white it's hot, white, hot. yes, it's yeah, blue, yeah, it just. It looks it's looks so good. Like I know it's a TV budget, but it looks so good. Well, Matthew, I think there's one thing that you and I have always agreed on is that Marvel has gone down a certain track to where their television properties have been a little bit stagnated because they have to be in lockstep timing with what's going on in the cinematic cinematic universe. And just seeing some of the small changes that DC is taking with their television properties versus say Man of Steel, you're seeing now the flexibility that's DC is affording its two different properties and its two different ways of getting the story across in both the cinematic universe and the television universe. I mean, there's there was a really interesting scene at the very end of the preview where James Olsen gave her a present, and the present was Clark's swaddling cape from when he arrived from Krypton. And that wasn't really focused on in the Man of Steel universe, his uniform and his cape came from Jor-El's hidden ship when he put in the USB key. This gift that James Olsen gave her is very akin to the swaddling cloth that that is part of the comic book universe. Not that it's not those are should be separate ideals, but they are kind of using what it needs in order to tell the best story. And I think in doing so, you are giving reverence to the comic book crowd and the movie crowd because they're using the best elements to tell the best story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's the best approach to it. And when he says up, up, and away, that goes all the way back to the 1930s, yeah. 1940s radio serial. But when you hear something like that, fans who know what that means, their ears will perk up and say, like, that's respect. They're not completely throwing all of the the tropes from classic Superman away and they're bringing that back in here and they can respect that. So when I see little bits and pieces of historical trivia folded into this modern sensibility, that's where I believe the writers are doing the right Mm. thing by this property and understanding what this content really means to the audience. 
Well, and the fact that they're allowing Superman to be on TV at all, when DC back in the day would never allow Batman to appear on Smallville because of the film property. Um, you know, so they have completely shifted and said, no, we are going to give all the tools to our creatives, whether they're in comics, whether they're in film, whether they're on TV to create the best story for the story they're telling. And we're not going to hamper them by saying, no, you can't have this character, you know, so that is just brilliant. And it, it, it gives us the best story. I mean, we've got, we're just about to talk about, we got the freaking Justice League basically you know, or Legion of Superheroes or whatever. I mean, all these kind of superhero teams, it's coming to TV, you know, and and they're just saying, heck, go with it. So, I mean, that is smart because you're not worried about trying to put the toys in a certain place because a film's going to come out. No, you just get to keep playing with the toys the same way, you know, some of us do at our desks with all the toys we have, the collectibles, I mean. They're collectibles. They're adult collectibles. They're adult collectibles. <laughs> we have 50 points of articulation. They're action figures. They're adult <laughs> collectibles. Right. No, that's a really good point you guys bring up. I remember I'm a big Justice League Unlimited fan, and they had the Bat embargo for a very long time. They couldn't have any mainstream Bat villains or the entire Bat family in the Justice League cartoons because they couldn't do any cross-stream pollination. They couldn't do that, right? But... You guys are exactly right. With the TV properties, they're just saying, go with it, right? And they're, and they're letting them run with it. And the Avengers and the, the shared Marvel Cinematic Universe, there was a really great article I read the other day about down the road, is it going to collapse under its own weight? The fact that it's it has to reference itself and it has to just constantly have this idea that it's all connected, it's all connected, right? Which is great up to a point, but it comes to a point in which it will hit diminishing returns, meaning how will everything be connected all the time across so many properties, right? And at what point will it stop working? So far, it's worked, you know, it's worked like gangbusters, right? But at some point, it's going to stop. You know, it's the law of of gravity. It's going to collapse under its own weight. And I think with DC, they may have maybe inadvertently or maybe by intention, they've allowed themselves this flexibility of like, this is one interpretation on screen on the movies, and then a completely different universe on TV. But who knows? Down the road, there could be a multiverse that brings them together. I mean, there is a lot of flexibility with this approach that I think we're just now starting to appreciate, whereas I think for a long time, it was getting beat up for just saying, oh, none of their properties make sense. They're not interlinked. They don't know what they're doing. And I think this is definitely an example of it just being its own thing and letting it succeed on its own merits as opposed to just saying it's one part of a giant marketing machine. It's the Marvel marketing machine and this is just one part of this giant thing for you to like spend money on because it's the next piece to unlock to another phase. Well, and that's, I mean, the comics run into that as well. I mean, both Marvel and DC. Marvel right now is destroying their whole universe with Secret Wars so they can basically reboot it and... um DC isn't doing quite the same thing, but they're reorganizing some things so that the creatives of each of the books have more control. And so it's not just one massive interconnected thing where, you know, you feel like you have to read everything. And so, yeah, having the the TV and the film separate gives them the opportunity not only have the best stories they can tell, but at the same time, 
it means that they have a longer survival rate, you know. Um, and in the end, how long can you tell a cinematic universe um, with your main characters until they start getting too old? I mean, we're really kind of at that point with Robert Downey Jr. and the rest of these guys. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. probably the most because he's 50 now. So, um, you know, he, he's he's not the same as he was. He can't play Iron Man forever and then you have to start replacing the characters because of the actors you're playing. So, yeah, in the end, um, I think this will work out well for for a while, you know, and, uh, and it gives them a, more longevity. You know, you can have a TV series that runs five, six, seven years uh, or more. I mean, heck, Smallville ran for 10, so who knows where some of these shows could go, and it's just fantastic. Um, let's switch gears and kind of quickly talk about, we've been referencing Legends of Tomorrow, the new show on the CW, which is going to involve some characters that we've had already on Flash and Arrow, and they're going to be breaking off into their own show. We're going to have um, Firestorm, we're going to have Adam, we're going to have a new character we haven't seen just yet, Rip Hunter. Um, we're going to have Captain Cold, Heat Wave, White Canary, who is actually the Black Canary. That uh, Well, we can't talk about that because it would ruin it for Will, but you'll right. find out, Will. Thanks um, a lot for ruining our show, Will. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> I'm, and, the, I'm the I mean, outsider perspective. I haven't seen any of this stuff yet. But that's yes. true. <laughs> and Hawk Girl. I mean, freaking oh my God. Hawk Girl. Oh, my God. So... Um, yeah, watching this preview, what did you guys think? Uh, okay, hold on a second. I got to take another shot at like kryptonite derivative before I go. Okay. This because yeah, don't blow out the speakers. I, um, I literally, my, I'm having goosebumps just thinking about talking about this subject because this as a DC fan and as a fan of Justice League Unlimited and as a fan of the Justice League and all of the team comic books, this is what I've been waiting for. I don't care if it comes in movie form, and I don't care if it comes in TV form. I love the Avengers, and I love the Avengers for what it did, for for the goal that Marvel set for itself to be able to do that. But in my heart of hearts, I've always been a fan of DC, and I always love seeing the heroes together. And the very first time I saw Arrow, I'm like, this is great. You see Arrow. Then you see how that property, much like Iron Man did for Marvel, how it started to be the crux the ground zero for all of this great material to start growing from it. They have Arrow, then you have Flash, and all the characters that are coming out of Flash. Now you have this incredible lineup of superheroes that you've never seen before together on screen. I mean, you have Hawkgirl. You have Shiera Hall. Oh, my God. Right? And that obviously gives you the potential of bringing Hawkman, you know, or Carter Hall, just down the line. Then you have... The Atom. And at the end of the preview, you have him in a dynamic we've been dying to see ever since we He's saw tiny. him introduced. I, oh, my God. Eat your heart okay. out, Ant-Man. Right? Yeah. And then, obviously, you have Firestorm. You have um, Dr. Stein. And you have Ronnie Raymond. And I think Victor Garber is just brilliant as Stein. And I think he's going to be kind of like that that central moral core of the team. Uh, uh, Matthew, you already uh, mentioned White Canary. But for me hands down the the character that i am ex, ex, so excited to see most is rip hunter because it's played by one of our favorite companions from doctor who arthur darville who played rory 
the other half of the Pond family, Mr. Pond, if you will. And they've done him in such a way where it's not the, the, the typical Rip Hunter that you've seen from the comics. He looks like a combination of David Tennant's Doctor and Jack Harkness, Captain Jack Harkness, in this time hunter soldier garb. And he just looks so brilliant, and he has such gravitas to his presence. And last thing I got to say, I got two words that just make my mind blown when they, at the end of this preview, and when they said Vandal Savage. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? You're bringing in Vandal Savage, one of the Titan villains in the DC universe. I'm like, wow. I'm dropping the mic. Boom. Go ahead. Well, I haven't seen... Flash, I haven't seen Arrow, and I haven't seen. I actually did not see the this reveal, but like I said, I was before, I was a big fan of Justice League Unlimited and Justice League, so I'm familiar with a lot of the characters that you guys are talking about, and the fact that they're just bringing all these characters together for the first time, really, in any live action format, be it movie or TV, is just exciting unto itself. And I was always a really big fan of of Shire Hall in the cartoons. I was really excited to see that. I mean. I'm just getting pumped to watch all these shows that I clearly have a backlog of, and you guys are just really uh, building that enthusiasm for me. So um, I really got—I have a lot of work to do in terms of just catching up to where you guys are. We're DC pushers. That's yeah, where we are. Yeah. Well, and I got serious goosebumps just watching this trailer. It was—it's so much fun. One of the coolest things is knowing that the first season is going to be only 13 episodes long so it's very tight like they're telling a very compressed tight story um and i think that means that the planning of it the execution of it is just going to be fantastic and and that's you know that's what i like for my tv shows and they've proven that they can do specifically with flash and arrow these two shows um very well plotted you i never feel like i'm watching a wasted episode and so knowing that this is going to be you know instead of 22 episodes this is just 13 episodes we're we're telling a 13 hour movie here of these characters is just fantastic and knowing that the flash and the arrow are going to cross over with this and i mean it just opens up a billion possibilities especially with supergirl here as well what they could do with this in the end, and I'm I'm very excited to see all these characters back. I'm so excited that White Canary is here. I am glad that she was back. I was so sad when they there was a mishap. Will earmuffs? You guys, it's fine. You guys can spoil it. It's fine. Yeah, she she was killed. At least we thought, and has you know been brought back with the Lazarus Pit. I mean, so my favorite thing about this trailer is that, like you were saying, Norm. It starts off with Oliver talking about how he was going to do this alone and how then things got weird, uh, you know, with Barry and all the other metahumans that started showing up and realizing that he can't do it alone. And sometimes he and even he and Barry can't do it together. They need more. They need a team. And uh, I think that that's really, really awesome. And I think that's going to get transcended into the films because well, we saw what Clark was able to do by himself, but it's obvious that if he had had a team, a lot less people probably would have gotten hurt because it wasn't just him. So I, I really, I think they're playing with this and it's all going to kind of, 
it's kind of kind of mirror each other a little bit in the end and i love it i i'm so excited about this show i cannot wait to see it um, i'm sad that we have to wait till 2016 when it comes out um but beyond blown away by this i mean it's like the avengers that time travel um, and what it really kind of reminded me of is is in the DC world, the Legion of Superheroes. You know, Superman would go to the 31st century and be with the Legion of Superheroes, and they would talk about all these heroes that were legends, like Superman. And I love that because we're actually going to kind of build in that. You know, these guys are, you know, Arrow, Flash, Hot Girl, Firestorm, Adam, White Canary, Captain Cold, even Heat Wave. These people are going to become heroes and legends. Like, they're more than heroes. They're legends. And I, I God, can you I geek freaking joy all over the place. The great thing about what we're seeing is not just what's going to be delivered within the next calendar year or just a little bit longer. We're seeing the potential of where it can go. And that's why, Will, I know you and I are huge fans of Justice League Unlimited because you are always able to rotate out a hero to tell a different story every week. They always went out and did their quest in groups of two or three. And you were able to get those characters to work together, even if they're not supposed to. So even in Constantine, we were teased with Dr. Fate. We saw the helmet of the Mm -hmm. uh, Uru helmet. And you could possibly bring that mysticism in here. So there's you could even open it up to when they're going back in time, they could recruit the powers of the question or Dr. Occult. And have Jeffrey Combs play a live action version of the question. Absolutely. freaking Because yes. you have to do that. Because or he's you everywhere. Can the, uh, you can also well, go the other way. You can go back in time into the West and you can get... Uh, Jonah uh, Hex? Is it? Jonah Hex, right. Jonah Hex. You can go to World War II. You can get the Haunted Tank. Um, you can go into the future. You can bring the Legion of Superheroes. You can go in one direction, and you can you can bring in Cyborg, if you will. Um, the the the, po- the possibilities are endless now, as long as they write it correctly. So you're starting off with this great core, but in doing so, they've proven that they can bring in superheroes a la carte and tell a really good story. Now. Legends doesn't necessarily have to be the same group. That's the beauty of it. And I think it's because it's tied up. I wish they were able to use the title The the Brave and the Bold because that's what it really is. But Brave and the Bold is a completely different property. But now you can start working with like the former outsiders. We saw Katana, right, Matthew? On oh, yes, Arrow. yes. And then you can start bringing in Black Lightning. You can probably even use Cisco as Vibe if he ever gets there. You oh, can have, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. So, I mean, you can go on and on and on. And that's where this is its just great. It can just grow so organically and not feel forced and not feel all connected, if you will. You know, because that's where you don't want this to be curtailed creativity the way that, that Marvel, I think, is kind of suffering a little bit right now. So now you're seeing this kind of shift in in kind of like in the forces of nature between these two great rivals, the two great titanic rivals in the comic business, DC and Marvel. The great thing about this show is that because they're going to be time jumping and everything, they're not 
you know, Flash and Arrow very much tell sideline stories, you know, and then they, they go back and forth between their shows these days. This one, because they're time jumping, they're not having to worry about that unless they specifically have an episode where Flash or Arrow would be involved. And so I think that's what's really cool here is that, yes, it's going to be connected to that universe, but this show, because of its time-jumping nature, isn't going to be beholden to, to try and tell a story that's so cohesive with the others. And it's easy to be cohesive when you need to. And then, of course, you know, you're in the future, you're in the past, you're in an alternate universe, whatever. You know, you can do all these different things. And so it really helps with that connectivity, you know, and, and plotting everything out. And yeah, this is, this is great. You can bring on all sorts of different types of characters and the, the possibilities as Spock would say are endless. Um, or as he would say, I guess there are always possibilities. possibilities. And so I, I'm, I'm just beyond excited. You know, um, this is, I think it is a great time to be a geek. And, um, you know, I, I think um, they are trying very hard to give us some fantastic, amazing shows. Um, I trust these writers for Supergirl and for Legends of Tomorrow. And I couldn't be more excited for a TV season to start again when it's just ended, you know. Um, and, yeah, I am really looking forward to this. So, Has it been confirmed that Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow are in the same universe as Supergirl? Or is it just yes. we're assuming that they're in the same universe? Greg Berlanti has said that they are all in the same universe. Wow. So Supergirl, and and the biggest reason for Supergirl being on CBS, one, their CBS is trying to skew younger, finally. Um, but also, they can afford more money per episode than the CW can. And that's what Supergirl needs, obviously, with the amount of special effects work, I think, is even more so than The Flash. So because of the fact that she flies and she can punch through walls easily. I mean, you know, she lives in a world of cardboard, as we know. So um, she can do some pretty awesome, amazing things. And I, I think that was the main reason is skewing younger and having more money in, in the end per episode so they could actually do this the way they'd like to be able to on TV at the moment. You know, I want to um, just kind of go a little serious here um, when it about something that I read or things that I have been reading during the course of all of this great information unfolding online. It's a little disheartening when you go online sometimes when something like this is, is revealed, like the Supergirl trailer or the Legends of Tomorrow trailer, even anything that has to do with our fandom. And you read such vitriol in the first responses, the first blushes from huge groups of other fans. This is and, why we can't have nice things. Right, you know? <laughs> and uh, Robert Burnett is a friend of mine, and uh, he works on the Axonar Project with Alec Peters, and he wrote on his Facebook page something that was really poignant, and it just stuck in my head. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, we live in a great geek time when all of this is shared with us immediately as it's happening, why are you sabotaging that with such negativity? This has never been done before for us as fans. We are, we are getting all of this information in real time. When I was growing up, I would have to read about this in a 
in a news brief that's two months old in a Starlog magazine or a Fangoria magazine or a Cinefantastique. There was no internet. And I'm not really that old. I'm 43 years old. But when I was growing up, when I was 8 to 10, I would, I would have loved any real-time information about any of this stuff. And the proliferation of all of these properties, it's enormous now. I mean, I had one or two shows, basically, that I could really grasp onto when I was a kid. And, and I had to wait week after week after week to get that next episode. Look at what is being delivered today and what the creatives and the studios are allowing you to get up front so early. Like you said, Matthew, we're not getting Supergirl until 2016, Legends of Tomorrow until 2016. But look at what they're sharing with us. Well, Supergirl will be out this fall. Okay, so this fall, Legends, Legends of, Tomorrow, of Tomorrow in 2016. But the point is, is that look at what they're sharing with us. Look at what they're giving us. They're giving us the opportunity to create this great fan fervor. And I think that more fans are receiving this and pumping out more negativity than positivity. So I urge you, listener to the 602 Club and Trek FM and fans of this kind of material, be proactive in your social media and share the positivity with your friends because this is such great stuff that we're being afforded and we can't let it be met by naysayers that are basically trolling at first blush. That's not fair. And you have to fight back with positivity because that's the only way we're going to get more of this continue to be streamed to us by the networks and by the producers and the creatives. We have to be behind them. That's the way we were doing it when we were kids. We wrote, we wrote in letters. That's how Star Trek was saved for their third season back in 1969. The fans have to speak and they have to protect the properties that are coming out or else they're just going to stop doing it because they're not going to care. But we care. We love it. And that's why we're talking about it on this show. So please do what you can to make sure that you're putting a positive note out there when these things come out. Do it with creative criticism and respect because you can only fight that kind of negativity with real passion. And there you go. That's a 602 public service announcement right there. But it's important. I think that's the a more really good point. Know. I think that's the double-edged sword of social media is that you have – it's almost a fire hose of information but oftentimes it goes both ways. You have a lot that's coming at you that you can access, but at the same time, you have feedback from everyone, right? You have this instantaneous communication where, for better or for worse, everyone's a critic and they can have, you know, very shoot at the hip reactions to lots of things. And the internet takes its own form sometimes. This over this overwhelming sense of snarkiness, of just kind of a snark mentality towards everything. And it can bring and weigh down so many things that just didn't get a shot or deserves at least some sort of reservation of an initial opinion because you haven't seen all of it yet. And yet you're already solidifying such a stubborn and unyielding opinion. And of course, you're broadcasting to so many people. And that's why with Twitter and Facebook and how things go viral so quickly, things can go viral quickly for good reasons, but they also go viral for bad reasons in, in terms of just the, the fan reaction. And unfortunately, I feel like that's just the cross that we all have to bear as fans is that we're going to have to take the good with the bad. But like you said, Norm, the only way to, to deal with the negativity and the bad things that come through is kind of pushing out your own positivity and kind of laying your, your stake in terms of saying, you know, I support what they're doing because I like what they're doing and not just tearing down for, for tearing down sake. I think this is, to me, this is pure geek joy. 
like pure geek joy and we live in the age of that and I want that's one of the reasons I love doing this show is I want to share that with everyone um and I I wanted to do this show I'm glad Norm um this came out he posted in the 602 club uh, look I can smell a supplemental and I wanted to do this because (laughs) I want to be behind this show 100 percent especially supergirl because i think it's important um we're finally doing a female superhero led show and i think that's important um and beyond that i'm just super excited i've loved the character of supergirl i've read all of her new 52 comics i've read some of her old comics i like the character i think this is fantastic and so let's make sure that we as geeks get more nice things by supporting what we love and being passionate about that and then respectfully critiquing the things that we don't like. You know, um, I, I think back to our, our Age of Ultron show. I wasn't upset with that movie because it was bad. I was upset because I knew that there was a better movie behind it that Joss had made and they cut it down. It's like an old Billy Joel song. Um, they cut it down to 305. You know, they, they cut down what I wrote. I spent all my life pouring into and then they cut it down and just for the radio. Right. Um, and so I, I, that was my critique. I actually wanted more of the movie, not less, you know. Um, so, but being respectful in how we do that and respectful of other fans who also like something that we don't like. That's a hard thing to do, and I, I find it hard myself sometimes when somebody, which a lot of people do, they like to trash Man of Steel, and I get kind of uptight about it. Um, but I just have to remember, I love it. I don't need anybody else's approval, and I'm going to support what I like and what I don't like I don't have to support. And I also really don't have to trash it either. So that's what I'm so glad that we got an opportunity to do tonight is just be excited. And it gave us a great opportunity to sit around and talk about it, you know, and then share it with you, the listeners. And I hope you guys will be excited and just be excited about the fact that we've got tons and tons of great things coming for the 602, honestly, for years to come. Um, But Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow is not the only thing that we have been talking about this week here on Trek FM. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And I think it was a very anticlimactic thing for a lot of people because they were expecting me to to do you know my raw and ranting thing but instead i just was like oh that's depressing okay bye earl gray they've now shifted into the biff controlled 1985 who got a hold of the almanac in order to turn yesterday's enterprise the enterprise c is the delorean in this scenario the orb i'd like to see the borg assimilate Ferenginar. And then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see bankers. drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's <laughs> strictest bank ever. Right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into... <laughs> yes! <laughs> to the journey! I, I, I kind of 
kind of want something with a little bit more teeth. For some okay. reason, like like starting a garden just doesn't scream mirror universe to me. <laughs> starting a garden doesn't have teeth. <laughs> the ready room. I hate to put it this way, but maybe in, in some strange, twisted, logical sense, if Archer just kind of flew on by and didn't help the colonists, the Enterprise-D would have never crash-landed on Viridian 3. So it's not Troy's fault, it's Captain Archer's fault. Literary tricks. This is this is something that doesn't get done a lot in books because I don't think the time period's supposed to be that long. Mm-hmm. But what did you end up thinking about having a story take place before where no man's gone before? Well, I thought personally that it was really cool. The 602 Club. My two favorite scenes in the film are Cap saying language <laughs> and then the rest of what the jokes they go with that and then Cap moving the hammer just enough then Thor's face when he can't pick it up is priceless and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm check out these shows find out what we've been talking about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and of course beyond you do know that you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts if you love what we love if you have a passion for Star Trek podcasts and you have a passion for the 602 club and what we talk about here and you'd like other people to be able to find that easier in iTunes you can do us a few things you can subscribe and you can also give us a star rating and review and those star ratings and reviews really do help us rise in the iTunes rankings and basically that just means it's easier for people to find our shows because they're promoted more they're shown off more and and people get to see oh man oh 602 club they're talking about the hulk uh they're talking about uh you know uh superman they're talking about daredevil i want to listen to that um and in fact, uh, I just wanted to mention too, because um, we had a great review the other day and um, I was really excited about it. And we got a great five-star review from Cold Pizza 320 So I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me that listeners go and do that. And of course, we're also running our promotion right now. Norm and I have some great gifts that we'd really love to be able to give away. Superhero Blu-ray of your choice as well as the USS Vengeance from Eagle Moss, if we can make it to 50 reviews by June 1st. So help us out there, guys, because Norm and I are really itching away to give away some some prizes. If you're not an Apple user, there's plenty of places you can get us. You can get us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can grab and stream that MP3 file from the website and also get the RSS link as well. And those places all have amazing ways for you to be able to share the content and help other people find it. One of the best ways, and Norm knows this because this is how Norm and I met, was through Patreon. And in fact, that's how Will found the network as well, really. Uh, it's like both a love of these story, guys. guys. It's a geek it love is. Story. It, it is a geek love story. And I love that I found you guys because of this. Um, if you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll see how you can support the network as we are a listener-supported network. We need you to make this work. We're a volunteer spaces. We just get together and do this for ourselves. We spend, honestly, 
quite a bit of money ourselves putting these things together, making sure it all comes out to you. It sounds great. You can check us out at patreon.com slash trekfm, see the current goals we have that we're trying to reach. We've got milestone contribution levels, so you can see the perks that come with some of this stuff. You get early access to content with some of it, exclusive content, producer credit, seats in the content development team, and so much more. I just want to say thank you so much, guys, for doing that. I have great associate producers. I've got Norman Lau, who's here with us, and I've got Ken Tripp. Both of these guys, I couldn't do this show without them. If you would like to contact us, we'd love to have some contact from you. Got some great contact a few weeks ago. Trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. Sidebar on the show page, go to speaktype.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, I mean, I think you guys will agree. The Babel Conference. Best place to have a discussion these days online. Well, absolutely. That's The Babel Conference is it's where we share. And where we share safely uh, all of our opinions and our feelings and everything that we want to talk about in this subject matter where we can do so in a respectful environment because we have to continue the conversation. That's our, that's our primary focus. If there's no more conversation, then why are we here? What are we doing this for? It's, it's a great collaborative effort, the Babel Conference, and much like it is to Star Trek, it's where we create relationships and foster friendships and that's the greatest thing about doing what we do well you can find us on the babel conference on facebook just type in the search field b-a-b-e-l or you can go to our website and click discussion on the menu bar there at trek.fm now will tell everybody where they can find you here on the network and online so you can find me here every week with norm in um the conference room of warp 5 our dedicated enterprise show where we talk everything about enterprise uh, you can also find me, of course, in the Babel Conference, where we're talking everything Trek and non-Trek. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Will underscore Win, spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. Norm, tell everybody, of course, where they can find you. Well, as Will mentioned, uh, we are on Warp 5 together, so we talk about everything Enterprise there. And uh, I think a lot of people have seen me post on the Babel Conference, so you can find me there as well. You can find me on Twitter at Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And everyone knows that I'm a huge supporter of the Axonar project and Alec Peters' work there. So I'm on the Axonar fan group page on Facebook. And and I say this with, with all the deepest love in my heart. I am a proud sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon. That's how I came to this show. That's how I met all of these great people like Matt and like Will and Christopher Jones and all the hosts of the network and all the friends. And I'm an associate producer of four shows here on the network, Warp 5, The Orb, this fantastic show, The 602 Club, and Axonar, the official Axonar podcast. And... Matthew, I think I've had one too many kryptonite shots because I'm pretty sure that Ruby has me exactly where she wants me. I'm a little weak in the knees right now. <laughs> I feel like this is that my means she could kick go. you out easier. <laughs> <laughs> my strategy has worked up to a point, or at least I just think so. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I also do The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. I'm on Literary Treks with Dan, where we are talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which is so much fun. And then I'd have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. And thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Mm-hmm.